Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do rejoice that we can open the Scriptures, that the Holy Spirit whom you sent teaches, guides, assures us, illumines our hearts and our minds, convicts us of the truths of Scripture, but also enables us to live them out. Father, as we look at your word this morning, let us be captivated. Let us be encouraged. Let us be motivated by the realities that you show us. In Christ Jesus, amen. If I was to ask you a simple question this morning, why make disciples? What would you say? Now, some of you may be new to the church um, and no answer comes to mind or you're just here to find out a little bit more about what this Christianity is all about. And so me asking why make disciples, uh, you're not really sure about. I hope by the end of today's message, you will be much more sure of what that is. For others that are here and have been here for a while or at least some time, You might go, well, yeah, Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Jesus says to do it, therefore, we do it. But you know, God is so much more gracious, so much more loving, so much more gentle and kind to us. He doesn't just give us a command and say, like Nike, just do it. He gives us His story. So the whole of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, and we'll be looking at a passage today in Revelation, is the story of redemption. Yes, we see creation, and we see the rebellion of man after creation, and the fall of all creation, and the need for salvation. And that story begins there in Genesis. And it proceeds throughout the whole of Scripture. But it is given little by little. We don't have all the answers at the beginning. The Old Testament itself shows this continuing story. But it's a progressive story. And sometimes it seems like a secret story. Because some things are hidden in shadows. And yet, as we proceed through the Scriptures, we see this unfolding of the story. Recently, Gail and I were out of our home and had to go stay in another home. You may go someplace and go to a home that uh, you rent somewhere. In a lot of homes, when people aren't living in them for a while, all the furniture will be covered with cloths or with sheets. And as you enter into this house, you can't tell everything that's there. You can't get a sense of what the owner is like of that house. As you begin to remove the sheets, it reveals the ambience of the place, the aesthetics. And you begin to see a little bit more about what this owner might be like, the things that they appreciate their taste in color, their taste in furniture, 
all those things. It is revealed to you little by little as you take these sheets off. And so too, the Old Testament begins this story of redemption with God through His Word telling the story of redemption through narratives, through poetry, through history, even apocalyptic literature. But each one of those reveals a little bit more of the character of God and what He is doing. And that's what we want to see this morning, what He's doing. Now the Old Testament has types and it has shadows. Yet people in the Old Testament still believed in this promise of a solution to the problem of sin that entered into the world through Adam. That changes with the New Testament. With the coming of Jesus Christ Himself, the revelation of God. God Himself dwelling amongst us and us beholding His glory. John the Baptist comes on the scene and and cries as a voice of one in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And all of a sudden Jesus bursts onto the scene and the good news of the gospel comes. All of a sudden the types and shadows are beginning to move together like pieces of a puzzle. Have you ever put together a puzzle? You know, they're simple ones. I remember our boys being little and, you know, you might have ten pieces. And it's kind of easy to put together. And then you graduate to puzzles that are 100 pieces or 500 or 1,000 pieces. Those are the fun ones. It's hard enough just to find the corners and the edges. And you have a box, and usually the picture of the puzzle is on the cover of the box. And so you see a picture, and you begin to work these pieces of the puzzle there to see the big picture. Now, pictures are great. Pictures sometimes provoke us to go someplace where we might see a sunset. Just last week, coming home, Gail and I from, um, I believe it was the Bible study or somewhere else, maybe, I don't remember. But we are traveling down the, the toll road, and where the toll road, the Dallas toll road, and George Bush meet, you take the off-ramp. And it takes you high up. And we look to the west, and there is a sunset. Incredible. I mean, sometimes you look at postcards or pictures that somebody else went someplace, and you go, oh, look at that sunset. I want to go there. But it's not until you actually see it live and in person that it takes your breath away. The, the whole panorama... The, the sky moving from shades of yellow to then orange and then red. And then there's this transition. There were some clouds in the sky where the blues and purples start to mix in. And you go, you know what? Psalm 19 is right. The heavens declare your glory. It's an aha moment. Our passage this morning wants us to have an aha moment. These types and these shadows, these puzzles and pieces, all beginning to fit together in the person of Jesus Christ, reveals to us God's big picture, His plan for the ages. John, who wrote the letter of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, 
also wrote a first epistle talking about the excitement of the gospel. The gospel is something that we hear, that we see, and that we touch in his first epistle. He said, that's which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it and proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. This is what we proclaim, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Lord Jesus Christ. They saw it, they touched it, they heard Jesus, and they pass it on to us. But that's just part of the picture. John then turns to our passage this morning in Revelation and gives us that aha moment. This passage I want to break down into three parts so that we can look at it in terms of our destiny. Verses 9 and 12. Our deliverance, verses 13 and 14. And our destination, 15 through 17. And then hopefully, through some practical applications, what then is our duty? So let's begin with our destiny. John is in chapter 7 has just learned that God has sealed his people. It talks about 144,000. Numbers in the book of Revelation are symbolic. This 144,000 represented the people of Israel and the 12 tribes, 12,000 being a perfect number leading up to the 144. So he's talked about how God has sealed these people. He is protecting these people. They cannot perish and no one can snatch them out of his hand. And then he gets this vision. He said, after this I looked and behold... Aha! And what does he see? He sees a great multitude that no one can number. Unfathomable. Now, how many of you think of Christians as being a number without without being able to count? Don't you think, like I do, that we're a minority? Because we pretty much are. There's, there's more people out and about in the city today than there are in this auditorium or any other auditorium for that matter around the Dallas-Fort Worth area. But John is given this vision. I want you to see that there is a multitude without number. This is to encourage. This is to assure us This is to give us hope upon hope. This multitude that cannot be numbered. In the multitude, he goes on to expand upon it. They're from every nation, every tribe, and peoples, and languages. Doesn't that make you think about Genesis chapter 12? The promise made to Abraham? I will bless you and make you a father of nations. Some of every people, tribe, and tongue that you see here. 
Maybe it also makes you think about Genesis chapter 11, the preceding chapter. If you don't know what happens in that particular chapter, that talks about Babel. And the people there had an idea to build a temple, a tower, to make a name for themselves, not a name for God. And the Lord came down to look upon it. And upon looking at it, says there's nothing that they can't do. And so he scatters the people across the globe, changes their languages and their geographical locations, making nations, tribes, peoples, tongues. These talk about people in every possible category that you can imagine. Nations, meaning that they're under the rule or government or the king. Tribes are a subgroup of this with a distinct bloodline, those who are of a, diff- of a particular family. Peoples that share cultural bonds, food, drink, music, those types of things. And then those of different languages. That's what brings them together. They have the same tongue. God weaving this tapestry of people. Bringing them together without number. But they are unified as never before. What God had separated and scattered, He now gathers together. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians that this Cosmic display of His plan that is happening is that God is reconciling all people, uniting all people through Jesus Christ to Himself. And this is just a picture that John is taking in. Like that sunset I described with all the color, all the tapestry, He sees in a people, in a multitude, in the heavenly throne room. Isn't that incredible? And he sees all these people without number dressed in white robes. A sign of purity. They have been cleansed. It represents them being justified, being made right in God's eyes through putting faith in Jesus. But they are also there with palm branches in their hands. Mindful of what it means to be victorious. So John doesn't want us just to see the vision that he sees and it's a whole bunch of people. He's putting forth right away that in the end, we're victorious. Not because of ourselves, because of Jesus. Alistair Begg teaches and preaches at a church in Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio. Some 12, 14 years ago, he was asked to go back to Glasgow, Scotland and preach at a new church that was being planted there in a building that was being built. And while he was there, he was talking about this particular passage and how this vision is to motivate us, to encourage us, to make disciples. And he had a conversation with a a gentleman that said to him, afterwards this father says you know my son came to me and we were talking about this particular passage and he said 
His son said, I can summarize this passage in two words. And the father looks at him and he goes, I don't know that anything can be described in just two words. And he said, but son, tell me. He goes, Jesus wins. Jesus wins. These people dressed in white. We have Palm Sunday and we have the kids come in waving the palms. The kingdom has come and the kingdom is now consummated. Jesus wins and therefore we win. And that's what he wants us to see here. This aha moment that there is a multitude. This is our destiny. Do you think about that? Do you contemplate how things happen? We have particular TV shows that we like to watch, Gayla and myself. Some people like different movies and things like that, and they all tell a story. And so watching a TV show and get captivated and and brought into the actual story and the hero or the heroine um, gets in some kind of trouble. And and maybe their life is threatened. And I want you to believe this is going to happen, but you got to go, you know what? It's got five five seasons. Nothing happens to this person or the shore wouldn't go on. John wants us to see, here's what the end looks like. And wants you to be encouraged by that. So listen, when, when it's all said and done, you have a bad week at work. You think you're going to be laid off. Maybe your bills are beginning. You have some economic issues, some, some financial issues. You know, maybe you're having physical issues. Maybe you might even be experiencing some mental issues. You've had trauma in your life. And all of a sudden your vision becomes tunneled like horses racing on the track. And all you can see are these problems in front of me or in front of you. John wants you to take off those blinders. Open up, see the sunset, the panorama, the glory of God that's declared in the heavens and through this passage and say, that's my destiny. That's where I'm headed. Next he moves on and he talks about our deliverance. Our deliverance. These people that have the victory of being gathered together before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white and waving their palm branches, break out in worship. Break out in worship. And they say, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Worship breaks out. People worship something. Different things. But everyone worships something. Nancy Guthrie in her book, Blessed, she talks about um, the fact that she had never been to a football game. She lives in Tennessee with her husband, Dave. And so Dave, her husband, has siblings coming in from Oregon to Tennessee to go to a Tennessee football game. And Nancy Guthrie's never been to a football game in her life. She doesn't even know what's going to take place. And she, she experienced the whole thing and she said, you know, it is unbelievable how a football game 
is like a worship service. That those who are going are filled with anticipation. They are having tailgating and meals beforehand, looking forward to the revelry of the actual game. They squeeze into a stadium like it's a sanctuary. And they even dress for the worship liturgy, wearing the colors of their team, maybe even painting their faces. They do everything, and it's worth the cost in their sacrifice to purchase a ticket, to get a seat, to pay for the food and everything, to be there. And he said, and then, she says, that then they have songs that they sing, and everyone knows the words. Hail to their team. We all worship something. And what John wants us to see in this passage is there's greater things to worship than a football game. Greater things to worship than a political candidate. Greater things to worship than a pop star. Gayla's got a person in her office. Hope she doesn't listen to this. Well, (laughs) maybe it would be good that she does listen to this. She has an obsession with Taylor Swift. She wants to dress like Taylor Swift. She goes to concerts for Taylor Swift. Not just here. She travels to go see her perform. She worships this pop star. Friends, if you're going to worship something else other than Jesus... The picture of this hope, this destination, this destiny, this deliverance won't happen for you. Just the opposite. It is our destiny and it is by God's deliverance that He has saved us. And He has saved us in a manner that brings forth not only worship from us in heaven... It brings worship from those of us here now. But the angels also join into this worship. You see them saying an amen. It is true. This worship is real. It says blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The angels see this work of redemption and they praise God for it. Let me ask you a question. Can those angels look down and give a, have a reason to praise God for the way that you live? So these angels join in. There's this exuberant, like the roar of a stadium at a football game. And this deliverance becomes all the more real. And it's clarified by two questions that are asked in the text. Who are these that are clothed in white? And from where do they come? Our text tells us that John, not knowing, says, Sir, you know... And let's him answer the question 
Who are they that are clothed in white and where do they come from? And what he says is, out, is astounding yet again. Takes our breath away. He says that these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They're coming out of the great tribulation and they've washed their robes by the blood of the Lamb. Now many will think about these words, great tribulation. And if you've been around in Christianity, you know there's different interpretations of that particular idea. But let me give you a a biblical idea of what it's talking about here. Some will say, well, those people that are coming out of the great great tribulation, it's narrowed down to a seven-year window at the end of time. But that doesn't square up with Scripture. Because the sealed ones at the beginning of this chapter are representative of the entire church, past, present, and future. We all experience tribulation. Jesus said, in this world you have tribulation, but take care, I have overcome the world. The churches that are addressed in the early part of Revelation are going through tribulation. And they're delivered from it. So this great tribulation is, I believe, the age from Christ's ascension to His coming again. We all experience tribulation, affliction, oppression. And that is what makes the hope of this passage so much greater. The big picture becomes even brighter. Because we have victory in Jesus. And the reason why we do is because these that come out of tribulation here, whatever the circumstances, the tribulations, whatever inflicts, whatever distresses, whatever brings about trials, all that we're delivered from because we have washed our robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There are many in evangelicalism that don't want to talk about the cross don't want to talk about the blood of Jesus but without the shedding of blood the author of Hebrews says there is no forgiveness of sin and the beauty of the blood of Jesus here that atonement that paying the price for our sin and the penalty of death is removed by his blood And so these that are clothed in white have dipped their, have been made white by the blood of the Lamb. In other words, they have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They have emerged out of this tribulation into a glorious assembly. Well, we've talked about our destiny, we've talked about our deliverance, now our destination. Starting in verse 15, John gives a description of the throne room of God. If you have read through portions of the Old Testament, you know that the tabernacle that was made, that was built from a plan given to Moses on Mount Sinai, where they designed this tent of meeting, but people were not allowed in, only the priests. 
And within that tabernacle, there was an outer room and then there was an inner room, the Holy of Holies, where God, the presence of God dwelt on that mercy seat. And so here we see John say, things have changed. Now our access is open. You don't have to be a high priest. You can come into the very presence of God. He says the destination is the throne room of God where the people serve day and night. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Our faith becomes sight. We see God sitting on His throne, the person of Jesus Christ, the Lamb. It shows how our purpose has been fulfilled. We have trusted in Christ. We are encouraged, we're uplifted, we're enabled and motivated at this sight that we will experience one day soon. And so this destination of heaven itself should motivate us, it should captivate us, it should be another aha moment that we then look at how then do I live? There is the language used forth here that speaks about the bliss of this salvation and the rest in it. No more hunger. No more thirst. Nor shall the sun strike them. Nor any scorching heat. You get this imagery of Psalm 23 that Jesus will be their shepherd. He will guide them in and out to springs of living water. And that God will wipe away every tear. Richard Phillips says that every loss will be repaid with interest. Every grief answered with joy. Every longing fulfilled in glory. And as we look into the eyes of God our Savior, it will be His hands that wipe away our tears. This is the big picture But we must ask then, how should we live? Why should we make disciples? Not just because God has told us to, but we see this big picture of how He is gathering and assembling His people, that we will worship Him all of our days. And yet there is a responsibility of us to make disciples, to teach people Jesus Christ wherever they are, whatever stage they are in their journey, whether they don't know Him or they already know Him, we all need to be encouraged with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to tell people about what's to come. The promise and hope that is in this heavenly gathering. That's why we make disciples. We see the big picture and we want to share it with others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you this morning that we can get a glimpse of the heaven reality of us worshiping you throughout all eternity, that you have done everything on our behalf. No need to be anxious. No need to be fearful in this life for nothing can man do to us that would snatch us out of your hands. So as we 
contemplate being in your presence. Let us move to your being present with us through this Lord's Supper, through this bread and this wine that reminds us of the reality of we will be with you in the not-so-distant future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.